The Struggling Mind podcast is a space where people can talk about their experiences, that it's their version of events, that it's their words, and it's all about them. And it was important to provide that space because a lot of people feel that what they have to say isn't important or it isn't relevant, but it is because it will connect with somebody else that's listening. It will give that person hope that what they're going through, they're not alone. My name's Lee and I'm a life coach. And six years ago, I had a breakdown and I had to change my life. And by doing that, I needed to take back power of it. And it then enabled me to help others realise that they too can take back power and influence themselves. You can find me at www.leandersoncoaching.com or on Instagram at leandersoncoaching. I hope you enjoy this season of the Struggling Mind podcast. Welcome to the Struggling Mind podcast with me, Lee Anderson. The podcast offers a space to a host of amazing people to feel comfortable having a frank and honest conversation about experiences that have impacted their lives mentally, physically and emotionally and how they've managed to navigate their way through their struggles. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Struggling Mind podcast with me, Lee Today, my guest is Ryan, and Ryan and I are kind of connected through Instagram about a year ago, wasn't it, Ryan? About a year ago, yeah, literally coming up to a year ago, I think, yeah. Yeah, so um, firstly, thanks for your time, and thanks for coming to the podcast. Um, how are you feeling? Yeah, I'm feeling greatly, uh, as always, and how are you feeling? Yeah, I'm really good, thanks, mate. I'm really good. Actually, I'm grand. I'm in a really good place, so I'm, I'm really good. Um, so what I like to do is with all my guests is I have a series of questions. There are only three little questions, but it's just to kind of bed us in, get us a bit comfortable, and just find out some random facts about you. So are you up for that? Of course. Yeah, let's go for it. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, so question one. If you can keep three apps and get rid of the rest, what three apps would you keep on your phone? <laughs> That's a great question. So it'd be Instagram, yeah, Clubhouse, and oh my god, I'm just trying to think. Um, I don't actually know to be fair. Um, Instagram, Clubhouse, maybe, maybe Facebook. Say I don't really use it, but I use it for net networking groups. So let's say Facebook. Right. Yeah, it's funny because, you know, uh, I've said before with other guests, social media is quite telling. You know, nine times out of ten, they do tend to pick one or two social media platforms. Um, and, you, again, that's how we kind of connected. And they are really kind of like the window to the world, aren't they? You know, yeah. um, in that kind of sense. Okay, so question two. If you could choose a superpower, what would you choose and why? These are great questions, by the way. These are brilliant questions. Um, superpower for me would be maybe the, the ability to read people's minds. Like everyone says about that, but I, I would like to do that, to be fair. Really? Yeah, I would like to do that. Just because when I go, like, you know, I go abroad a lot of places and I go traveling. And when I'm sat there, I love people watching and I sit there and I just look at people and I, I find people so fascinating. I just look and I think, I wonder what that person's thinking. Like, I see people arguing or people so happy and cheering and joyful and I'm just like what's going through their mind 
do you ever like when you sit there and people watch this is what i do is i i build up these scenarios in my head of what i think their life's like <laughs> and you kind of fantasize and romanticize about what i think their life is like it's, it's really weird but you can sit there and you can get so absorbed into this kind of fantasy world of these people that you've never met before in your life and you're never ever ever going to talk to you know what i mean so i like that um and the third one this is the most important telling question what's your favorite sandwich I like at the minute. I'm a big fan at the moment, so I've had it quite often. Uh, chicken, bacon, and stuffing sandwich. Oh, is that Marks and Sparks? Uh, that's all over. There's a few different places. Co-ops, uh, Marks and Sparks probably do do one. The Tesco's do it. I, I just keep seeing them everywhere. I keep buying them in this uh, podcast today. So if you just send us some <laughs> chicken and bacon sandwiches, that'd be grand. <laughs> Excellent. Um, so Ryan, so. Um, Obviously, the Struggling Mind podcast is about normal, everyday people that have gone through some sort of life-changing event, um, situation, or struggle. Um, and I think, for me, it was important to kind of um, pretty much offer a platform for people to talk about those situations because, you know, it would help somebody else. You know, that's what it's all about, really. Um, now, I know that you've experienced something in your life and, and you've kindly come on to kind of, you know, to talk about that. So I'm going to hand it over to you. Yeah, no, thank you, Lee. And yeah, I've experienced uh, sort of multiple adversities in my life. And going back to what you just said there about speaking up and getting our voices out, all of us, because we, we've all got something inside of us that other people need to hear. So by doing That's this today, if, if one person can hear it and, do something to better their life. Like I'm all for that. And that's, that's what I'm out to do. Like if I can just help one single person, it's a knock on effect, then it might help another person and then another person. So yeah, no, thank you Lee for doing this. And I just want to say, I appreciate you. So yeah. So hi everybody, everyone that's got watching this. I just want to say thank you too. So my name's Ryan nurse and I'm a traumatic brain injury survivor and thriver who's also suffered from the depression after a relationship breakup. So just over nine years ago now, I was a victim of a traumatic brain injury where I was attacked on the way home from a nightclub. And with no physical signs of trauma at all, I went home as usual. And when I got home to the front door, that was the last thing that I ever remember. And sadly, my parents struggled to wake me up. They couldn't wake me up the next morning. And because of this, they obviously called the ambulance. I was rushed into hospital. Uh, I suffered from a fractured skull and a blood clot due to a bleed on the brain. And I had to be put into an induced coma because of the severity of the injury. And because of this, the specialist told my parents that I would be very lucky to survive the night. And being in that coma, like I say, in a life support machine, um, specialist said to my parents that it wasn't looking great at all. And it was three days in. I was still being kept alive by the life support machine. And uh, the specialist, once again, they gathered my, my family, my parents, my loved ones on the third day. And they literally said, like, we're going to have to turn the life support machine off because there is zero brain activity. And for any parent, that is probably the, the worst news that you could ever hear, right? So my parents were, were gutted. They, they didn't know what to do. And there was nothing they could do. But... My, my dad there and then took uncomfortable action, which ultimately saved my life. My dad stood up and he said, no, the machine isn't getting turned off because 
Ryan needs time to do this. Like Ryan does everything in his own time. So just give him that time that he needs. So by my dad doing this, this did go on to save my life. Because wow. Yeah, the, the sad thing is, my parents were obviously going there sometimes twice a day. It was an hour journey one way. So one hour there, one hour back. And they were doing that twice a day. And they were becoming friends with, say, um, other parents, uh, family members that had sons, daughters, sisters, uncles, brothers, like you name it. They had the same people in the same position as me in there also. So they become friends with these people because they were all going through this, like the same situation. And sadly, for those other people, because there was a number of them, my parents told me, they listened to the advice of the specialist and just agreed to, say, turn the life support machine off because there was, like, same injuries as these other people. And sadly, that they didn't pull through as well. So oh, if my that's... dad wouldn't have stood up and said no to the advice of specialists, which we all take for granted most of the time, and... If he didn't do that, I wouldn't be here today to tell my story. So, yeah, I'm just grateful for my dad and my family for being there. But it just goes to show that sometimes that, that even specialists or people write you off in life and it doesn't mean that you're done with. And that goes with anything. Like Some people might say, you can't do this, you can't do that. But don't don't listen to them sometimes because you, you know yourself the most. So just, just go for it. Whatever you want to do, go for it. So... For me, my dad saved my life by doing that because he didn't listen to the advice of the people that know best, as to say. Absolutely. And, All right, just that, just what you just said there about your dad is just yeah. incredible. It really is. Because like you said, a lot of parents or people in that situation would have actually taken the word of that specialist and switched that machine off. So all power to your dad. You know, I've never met him, but I like him already. Yeah, thank you, Lee. And that's the thing, like, we all do it. Like, if, if we need something, we go to a specialist, right, and we listen to the advice of those. But sometimes it, it isn't the best advice or it isn't the right advice, maybe. But going on, carrying on. So my dad stood up and they, they agreed, obviously, to keep the life support machine on and just see how things go over the next few days. Um, so the next day it was right let's let's bring him round let's try and bring him round or the next couple of days it could have been let's bring him round let's reduce the sedation to bring him out of the coma so the very first time that they done that their loved ones obviously so excited to hopefully get me to come around and it didn't work sadly I, I wasn't functioning on my own I wasn't breathing by myself so I had to be put back into a coma and again, specialists were saying like this isn't this isn't working. Like there's no brain activity at all. Like he's not gonna come around. Sadly, but my parents were just keeping that hope, saying he will, he will. And uh, for the next day again, second time, and this was like the last time. So this was say flight or fight for me. So it was either do or die, basically. And again, they reduced the station to bring me around. And this time I did come around. I did start to function by myself, but I was still in a very very bad place so I wasn't awake sort of thing I was just my lungs were working by themselves and that was all that was happening and over the, that next week period there was very minimal movements like I, I may twitch a toe or twitch a finger or something like that and specialists again told my parents that if I was to ever wake up I'd be in a vegetative state for the rest of my life and I would never walk or talk again but my, my parents were just hopeful because that's all they could do have hope yeah, yeah, so, cool. yeah they, they kept up that hope and 
over the next say, say week period there, I did start to progress where uh, I opened my eye for the very first time. And I remember my, my, my nan told me the story. Um, I was there just laying there because my parents and loved ones were just going to literally watch a, a machine go bleep, bleep. And that was it because I wasn't doing anything. And the very first time that I opened my eye, um, my nan said she leant down and said, Ryan, open your eyes. Like, she's quite a stern voice, my nan. Apparently one of my eyes just went, and opened up and they were like cheering almost and they rushed and got a doctor and like he's opened his eye but they was like no nah, it's just this is just electrical impulses like that's what happens but my parents were like no he's definitely listening he's alive and so happy inside and again over the next few days I did start to respond to the point where they would ask me questions and I'd shake my head or nod my head to certain questions which was fantastic and then the very first time that I obviously I remember waking up myself uh, in an intensive care unit. I, I I woke up, obviously, and I looked down on myself on my own, pitch black room. And I'd, I had a tracheostomy in my throat. I had needles and wires hanging out of my body. And I actually suffered an out-of-body experience, which was crazy. And I won't go into this today because I could talk about that forever. But, yeah, I, I, I remember seeing myself. Like You've heard all the stories before, but I, I honestly believe that I, I viewed myself through the eyes of my creator. And yeah, I can tell you more about this on another day, but honestly believe like, I, I see something special. And when I looked down on myself, I, I realised that I was actually alive, that like, I was back on earth sort of thing. And I was like, what? This is crazy. And yeah, I cried myself to sleep the very first time that I, I actually woke up because it's just a lot to take in because all of those memories, say, from that previous night come flooding back. And... Yeah, soon soon after, I did make a very speedy recovery. And literally, this is maybe going into the third week now. And I was like, up, tracheostomies out. Um, I did have to learn to walk and talk again, obviously. And the very first time that I, I walked myself to the toilet was uh, a very scary experience, I guess. It was horrible, actually. It was a horrible experience. And it was only 10 steps, literally 10 steps across the ward. Cause I got moved to quite a few different wards and this was the ward when I was with other people, but it was still a end of life ward or critical ward. Like people were dying sadly in that ward too. And I felt, I felt right as rain almost. Yeah. So I walked walk myself across to the toilet on my little Zimmer frame, obviously went for a wee, turned around, washed my hands. And as I'm washing my hands, it just felt like someone's looking at me, like burning in my head. Did you ever get that feeling right? When, when some, someone's staring at you sort of thing and I look up and as I'm looking up, I see a mirror and I'm, I'm like, what? So as I look up slowly, it's, very, it's quite dark in this room because it's a little, little tiny light and it's pretty dark. And as I look up, like my eyes just made contact with myself in the mirror. I was like, whoa. And I looked straight down. I had to take it all in. Like, it was just, I was overwhelmed. Like, I was like, what did I just see? And I couldn't understand what I just saw. And I was like, heart was going, palpitations. And I was just like, what, what? And I, I didn't know what to do. So I just slowly looked up again, slowly, 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 slowly. And as I, again, made that contact, I was just like, and I just cried my eyes out because I didn't actually understand what I was looking at. And it was me. Like my face, I looked like a skeleton. I had half of my head shaved off. I had staples the whole way down my head. My left eye was pointing upwards. I had a hole in my throat. And, oh, it was, it was scary. And I, the first thing that I thought was just Frankenstein. Because I looked like Frankenstein. It wasn't me that I was looking at. Like, when you look in the mirror, you obviously expect to see yourself yeah, yeah, looking back at you. And I was looking, it was almost like someone else was looking at me. And 
I was just like, I, I said, take it all in. And how did you process it? I, I don't know. I, I literally just cried my eyes out for about 10 minutes in the toilet. And then I sort of hobbled my way back over to the bed and my family and friends were there. They, everyone was there that day, to be fair. And it was a good day. And uh, they knew I'd been crying because my eyes were all uh, like puffed out and stuff. And they were like, what's wrong? And I said, me. I said, look at me. I, I look horrible. And they were going, no, you don't. I was like, I do. And in fairness to them, they were like trying... They're used to seeing you like that, and this is the first yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. First time I've seen myself because yeah. last time I looked in the mirror, I was looking pretty good going all the night out. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you know, when you was laying in the bed, was you conscious of your parents or your family being around the bed there? When I, the first time I was conscious of me being laying in the bed was that day that I woke, or that evening that I woke up in the intensive care unit on my own with all the wires, and I was right. like, "Whoa!" Because I just suffered, like I say, this out of body experience, and it's basically like a dream but it was like real sure. and that's that's when I realized that like, I was almost like back on earth like it just felt like yeah. it was a dream it felt like I was awake but it was just a dream still again I was like am I am I here like I just had to make sure it was me and, yeah and so was, yeah, you, so was you conscious I mean like so you know you're laying in the bed and you're you, you're, you're in intensive care you've got the the, the 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 tubes and that are you conscious of that actually happening or was it that moment that you actually woke up and saw yourself as the first time that you was actually conscious of anything that's going on around you yeah so the very first time that I woke up was the very first time that I was aware of anything right but the whole the, the week or the week and a bit maybe before that I was I, I don't remember any of it because I was obviously still I was in a coma and then I was coming out of a coma because I was in a coma for a, about a week period but right. then I had that little little few days or period coming out of the coma where right. I just really probably didn't remember anything but the first time that I saw myself in that intensive care with all those tubes was the first time that I remembered being in the hospital and then right. that next day obviously the sun come up and my family come and I was just like I was there but I couldn't speak or anything so they they didn't understand if I could understand them as well so it was hard situation because I could hear them and they were thinking can he hear us so right. I just had to try and nod and stuff because I was so weak as well I was drained um, but yeah it was, it was a good feeling just to know that I was alive and I remember that's like how I, I remembered everything that had happened like the attack and stuff so I was just, it was just, just processing everything like I didn't realize until until maybe I'd like say it could have been a week later or just over a week later when I actually walked to the toilet and saw myself that right. there was the first time that I realised like the severity of my injury, because in the laying in the intensive care with a tracheostomy in my throat, I was just like, I'm ill. I'm just a bit ill. Like something's happened yeah, to me. Yeah. I'm a bit ill. Yeah. I knew I knew what had happened. I've been beaten up, but I was just like, I don't know. Like, I've probably got a broken arm or something. I, I didn't really know. I just knew. I knew I'd been bashed up, but I don't didn't really know how bad it was. But then when right. I see myself in the mirror with all these staples out of my head, I was like, whoa. And that's right. when I took it all in and thought shit like something bad's happened to me <laughs> and so that that from that point of seeing yourself in the mirror um i mean i'm trying to i'm just trying to process the fact of of you obviously waking up and then obviously spending that week with the, with the tubes and that and then obviously taking yourself to the, to the toilet for the first time which is when you actually first visually saw yourself and then did you start to i mean how did you start to process that part of it yeah, so like I said, to be fair, from my memory, I'm I'm pretty sure this is exactly what happened. I just cried my eyes out in that toilet, went back to the bed. I was upset for a bit, and then they obviously made me smile. And literally after that day, I just 
I was like a new man. I was just like smiling and just happy I was alive. And yeah, I was just yeah. focused on just progressing and getting better after that. So it was like crying my eyes out. Family saw me and lifted me up. And yeah, I just was just progressing. I just focused on getting myself better, stronger and up and out to go home. <laughs> so how long was you in hospital for before you came home? Great question. So it was just under one month, like in and out job. So it was going in, survive the night, he's going to die. So just under one month, he's going home. So specialists told me, specialists told me that I was a walking miracle, or I am a walking miracle. They said that doesn't happen. With the injuries that I sustained, that doesn't happen. People don't just stand up and walk off with a few scratches and nothing wrong with them. And it doesn't happen, they said. So yeah, after that day of seeing myself, maybe a few days after that, they they transferred me to a hospital closer to home. Right. And I was literally in there for a couple of days. I was starting to walk on crutches by that point. And two days in, they said, you can go home. And I was like, really? And they were like, yeah. So my parents turned up. I said, I've got some exciting news from like, my mum and dad. And they were like, what? I said, I'm going home. And they're like, no. And I'm like, I'm home. And they're like, you are really ill. You just <laughs> come out of a coma. You're not going home. I'm like, they didn't believe so me. You made the decision rather than the specialty saying that you're ready to go. Yeah, so I think my parents were thinking because because my head weren't right. They were thinking this was just the after effects. Like my memory right. was really bad. They were like, he's mm. making this up. So they were like, you're not. And mom's going, oh, you're not. You're not. I'm like, I am. <laughs> So they would have got the, the, the nurses or the doctors. And they're like, is he going home? And they're like, yeah. So they come back and they're like, we're going home. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah, it's quite emotional because, again, like they said, when do you want to go home? And I was just like, now, let's let's go. So packed up a few of my belongings that were there and straight out in the car park, just grabbed my mum and dad and we just cuddled and yeah. it was freezing cold. And, yeah, we just had a big, big cuddle. And they were like, oh, you're coming home, like – that's where you belong and all that stuff. So, it was, yeah, oh. it was just really nice and emotional. And we went back and I remember my mum sat in the in the passenger seat the whole way back. She kept, remember when you, uh, I don't know, like, when, <laughs> if there's a baby in the back seat, like, when there's parents with a baby in the back, they're, like, always looking around, are you all right? Are you all right? Something for mum. Yeah. We're just going, are you all right? And I was like, I'm fine, mum. I'm oh, fine. And yes. she kept looking around to make sure I was okay. But oh. I was so weak, Lee. I was uh, so weak. I was... I weighed about seven stone when I come out of hospital and I literally looked like a walking skeleton. And I had wow. no, just, just, oh, my face was just, my body was just drained. Um, and yeah, it was the next month, which was Christmas. So yeah, it's brilliant. Just in time for Christmas. So, so how did you, how did you adapt to coming home? Was there any kind of, you know, um, did you live close to where it happened? Would you have to pass the, the place? You know, was it, you know, how did you feel about that whole situation? Yeah, no, that's brilliant. So, yeah, adapting to things in when I come home. So, obviously, I was still on crutches for a bit. So, that was a mm. challenge first. Say, so getting up and down the stairs, for instance, that was just a challenge because I was so weak. I couldn't just go for a nice walk or something. I had to get lift everywhere because uh, I was on crutches. And yeah, to where it happened, I, I was super close, maybe like a five minute drive. Um, so then, yeah, it was just, I was, I was very scared. I was very scared of doing anything, to be fair. I was, mm-hmm. I was petrified, in fact, of just going out. I was thinking, like, what if something happens to me? What if I fall over? What if someone wants to come and hurt me? And 
I don't know, I had all these thoughts running through my mind and none of this stuff happened, by the way, but I almost painted this this nightmare in my mind. I literally painted this picture in my mind of like all the worst case scenarios happening because that's what I sort of did after that. I just I just focused on worst case scenarios that hadn't actually happened and that probably wouldn't ever happen. So that happened for a long, long period. And the other thing, like ongoing effects as well, was like my tiredness. I could literally just fall asleep anywhere and short-term memory loss as well. So I could be having a conversation with... Yeah, so I could be having a conversation with you now. So this is, say, coming straight out of hospital for a good, good period after. I could be having a conversation with you and completely forget the whole conversation and be like, what are we talking about? And just forget everything. And that that lasted for a long, long time. Years, in fact. Same with the tiredness. Years. I'd get so tired. Um, I still still suffer now from short-term memory loss, but touch words, <laughs> hopefully, it's literally maybe one word I could just pinpoint one single word that I can't remember and I'll be like oh but now I just just forget about it and just talk about something else <laughs> yeah mate listen trust me that's normal right that happens to me as well yeah. <laughs> did you notice any changes in your behavior like the way that you kind of viewed the world from that point the way that you kind of saw yourself and you know just kind of feeling safe in the environment that you was in yeah, no, that's a that's a great question too. And I, I knew like my home was safe. I knew my yeah. home was safe, but I didn't feel safe just in going out in general. Like, I didn't feel safe doing anything, really. In all honesty, yeah, I didn't feel safe just say even going to a shop. Yeah. So I just had just multiple fears. So yeah, no, no, I didn't feel safe at all, really. And if you went anywhere, did you go with somebody else or did you kind of avoid it or did you make excuses not to go? Yeah, so for a good few months after, it was like everywhere I went, I'd, I'd have to go with someone. I never went anywhere on my own for, for a long period. Um, and the other thing as well, what happened soon after, as much as, like you say, things that had changed, yeah, I, I sort of did what well, I did. Yeah, I looked at my life and thought, shit, like, I'm so grateful to be alive. Like, I shouldn't be here. Um, so I was, uh, I was really grateful for my life, but I, I wasn't that grateful and I'll go on to explain why. Like I was, I was grateful to be alive, but I didn't realize, I didn't really realize like the, the, the challenges and the obstacles that I'd actually overcome. Like this was a big, big thing. And I sort of almost just brushed it off. I was just like, yeah, it's done. And everyone was like, oh, you're amazing. Like you're doing so great. You're thank God you're alive. And I was just like, yeah, it is what it is, sort of thing. And as much as it was so sad for my loved ones and stuff, and they had to go through that intense pain, like for me, it was just like I spent a month in hospital and I'm back now, and I sort of didn't really understand the severity of it, I guess. Yeah. And so, do you, do, have you and your parents and your siblings actually sat down and spoke about the kind of impact it's had on you as a family? Yeah. So, that, again, that's a great question. So, so, so soon after, I'm not going to go into this yet, but soon after I met, which is now obviously my ex-partner, so that was maybe three, four, five, six months or whatever after. So I literally focused all my attention in, into building this relationship. And I spent a few months going to these counselling sessions afterwards about, about my brain. And because I, I didn't feel that bad, as much as I was scared of things, I could do most things on my own still. And I felt like I was going to talk to someone for almost no reason. I didn't want to waste their time. So I, I just I sort of pulled myself out of that, them cancelling sessions with, with 
um my, uh, no not mind uh, uh one of the brain brain charities i can't remember what one it is called um it'll come to me in a minute but yeah i, I sort of just stopped going to that and my parents kept going to they done like a weekly evening ones and my parents were like this is incredible because they felt a bit almost like an imposter as well because they were going to these these uh meetings at night and sadly these these parents were going there as well to to speak and discuss about looking after their children that had suffered similar things but sadly their 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 children had come out a lot lot worse than me so maybe couldn't right. walk or talk or couldn't do what they what, what we all take for granted sort of thing so my parents almost felt like they were going there and they felt really bad for going because they were like well nothing's wrong with Ryan because he's he's out and doing his own thing now so they were going there and they were feeling quite guilty of the other parents yeah exactly that so again my parents were just going and like as much as it's so interesting and great to learn about these incredible things it was just like well Ryan isn't like that so should we be here or shouldn't we be here so they did go to I think most of them and yeah, because I was out all the time, build, like I say, building this relationship, I wasn't at home to even learn about it. So I almost just put everything that happened to me just gone, like to, to the back of my life. And I'd only just really spoke to my parents properly during this lockdown. Really? 2020, 2020 lockdown. When it all uh, first locked down, uh, March, I had some time off in March. We was all in the yeah. back garden, uh, or mainly mainly me, me, my, my younger brother, mum and dad. Because uh, we all live here, uh, my other siblings uh, moved out. So yeah, us lot were here. Obviously, locked down with each other, and I yeah just brought the conversation up and just asked them questions. Obviously, because I set up my page and stuff, and just asked them, like asked my mum what happened. And every time that I speak to my mum about it, she cries anyway. And yeah, it was very emotional to, to sort of dive really deep into it because it was just bringing up all those emotions. Because again, for me, it was just like I was asleep for a while, and then I woke up, and then I went home. From my yeah. parents, they had to go through all that that pain of travelling to a hospital that's an hour away, four times, like two times there and back a day. Um, financially, financially destroyed almost. Like my dad, like was wasn't working, so they had no income. They were just living off of like amazing people in in like our area, or bringing my parents food and stuff. So, wow. It, yeah, horrible for them because you obviously you put your you put your your family first. So my dad wouldn't be like, oh, I'm going to go to work just to keep keep the family going. No, like they had to go and see me to make sure I was okay. So again, I'll be forever grateful for my family because they had to make huge sacrifices and the things that they had to do, like only, it's, it's, it's un, unimaginable and I wouldn't wish it on any parent at all. So how did, in, so in regards to your parents, I mean, obviously you have your dad not working because he's, he's obviously coming to see his son, you know, his wife. How did he find a mental balance there to, to keep the family together, to obviously be strong enough for you and strong enough for his wife and strong enough for the rest of his children as well, and to kind of maintain maintain a, a balance of normality there? Yeah, that's a great question. In all honesty, I don't know how to answer that question. I don't actually know how, how he done it. Like he, I asked him like things that he had done and stuff, and he did break down quite a lot of time. Like I remember my younger brother actually said, like my dad knew, my dad never really buys like a brand new phone or something. Apparently, I, I didn't know this obviously, but I only I only found out twenty twenty last day. My dad bought this brand new phone and he gets excited about stuff like that. So he bought this brand new phone and not long had it, 
And obviously, I go into hospital with this. And like I say, three days in, they say they want to pull the plug. Or no, I think, actually, no, I lie. I think it was the time that they said he would never walk or talk again. And my little brother told me this, and my dad like confirmed it as well and said uh, when he went out, he went outside of the uh, the room that they were in and he had his brand new phone and he just smashed it up or he was in the car park or something. He smashed it up and it, you can only just imagine like what, what my parents and family were going through because imagine getting told that, like your son's going to die, your son's not going to walk again, not going to talk again. It's unimaginable. Yeah, I mean, you've just taken the words out of my mouth. I mean, not only did they have to take that phone call or that knock at the door, then they had to go through that process of going to the hospital and seeing you there for the first time and then going back every day on the hope that you're going to get better and then being told that, you know, we need to do this and all that, you know, we need to switch off the machine. And then from that saying, okay, so he's getting better, but he's never going to be this. So all this, these different stages they're going through, they're trying to process all this and emotionally and mentally it's taking its toll. I mean, I couldn't imagine what it's like for a parent. I mean, let alone what it's like for you to go through that process. I mean, and to come out after a month and then pretty much go back into, you know, some form of normality is just beyond thinking. It really is. And so, you know, you said just the first time you kind of spoke about it with your parents was was back in 2020. I mean, that was yeah. what, eight years after the accident? Nine yeah, years? Yeah, about eight years, I guess. Yeah. Was, that, was that a conscious reason to not talk about it or was it just something that you'd kind of, processed it and you just got on with your life and it just never came up i mean yeah no it's literally it all got put on the back burner like i say because i went soon after say the relationship uh the, the the incident i went into the relationship and like i say forgot about it all so yeah I, i'd never really talked about it i guess did your life ch- so once you came out of hospital when you got into a relationship what kind of impact did your did your accident have on your life from that way from that day forward? I mean, obviously you got into a new relationship, but was it something that you kept to yourself? Was it something that you kind of told people about? Um, how did you kind of deal with that? Yeah, that's brilliant. And yeah, for me, it was like going to this relationship, and I didn't really speak about it much. To be fair, with my partner, as much as like we we knew each other before roughly like she she wasn't around anyway but we knew each other from years back and she only know a little bit about it but we never really talked about it um uh-huh. but a lot of say friends and stuff obviously knew about it, and everyone in our area knew about what i had been through um but i was just say so focused on building this relationship and it, it was it was brilliant trying new things and goes goes back to say being scared i, I was so scared to do anything and my ex partner she'd she'd give me that little push to to do the things to take myself out of the comfort zone because she'd say suggest something I'd be like no nah, I don't want to do that because I was I was petrified um and it let's say leads me on to say the, the travel like she introduced me to world travel I've, I've never been abroad on, on my well never been abroad at all and like, before meeting her and I'd never been on a plane and I was petrified of going on a plane and really? she she said oh it'd be okay and we, we went on our first trip to, to Turkey and I said this to someone yesterday actually. The, my first ever time on the plane, I was I was built up this fear inside, and I remember I grabbed onto the handles. We left Heathrow, and I didn't let go all the way to Turkey for four hours or four and a half hours. My palms were dripping in sweat. I didn't let go. They said, "Do you want a drink?" And I was just like, "I couldn't no. talk." I looked out the window. I was like, I took, put the blind down. I was like, <laughs> honestly. I, so do you think then, sorry, I didn't mean to, to cut you then. Yeah, on, yeah. Do you think that that helped with your rehabilitation? 
mentally. Yeah, because if if say I wouldn't have met her, I would have just sat around and probably not done anything. Right. So yeah, okay. it did really help. It, yeah. it pushed me, like I say, outside of the comfort zone because progression does equal happiness, and your comfort zone, I believe, should be called your danger zone because nothing grows inside your comfort zone. Totally agree with you on that score, mate. Totally agree with you on that score. And the reason I asked that question was because knowing you now, you are a very, very forward-thinking young man and you are the sort of person that would purposely push himself because of that fact. And that's why I asked you if by her pushing you is why you are the person you are today. And if you wasn't with her, then maybe you kind of would have, do you think maybe stagnated a bit? And maybe... Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, like I say, like I say I'm, I'm so grateful for her, everything she done, even even say the, the relationship breakup. Like, at the time, I, I, that was so painful, but I'm, I'm grateful for it now. Even the guy that attacked me, I'm grateful. I'm, I'm happy for him. Like, good mm. luck. Um, because you can't hold on to anger. And I've said this before, Lee, like, holding on to anger is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Yeah. But the antidote is forgiveness. And we need to forgive others. Like not because they deserve forgiveness, but because we deserve peace. So for oh. a long time, for a long, long time, it was like people around me would be like, Oh, are you not are you not annoyed with like the guy that attacked you almost took your life? And I was just like, Well, it is what it is. Like it's it's done now. And now I've just got so much peace for these people. Like mm. the people that I honestly believe were say the source of my suffering for a long, long time. Say my ex-partner for breaking up with me or, or whatever happened there and uh, the guy that attacked me like I, I honestly believe that they were the source of my suffering but then I later realised that I was the source of my suffering because it was the story that I was telling myself about that event so as soon as I switched my mindset to think actually I needed that adversity to help me get to where I am today because if it wasn't for those events I wouldn't be here to be the person that I am yeah yeah, I totally, I totally get that, 100%. Um, I think a lot of the things that we go through, you know, really, really shows the kind of person that we are because we've come through it. And by acknowledging that and accepting that makes us a better person. You know, it really does. And it all comes back home to us, you know, about the sort of person that we are and the people and the person that we want to become as well. So I admire you, mate. I really do because, you know, what happened and how you dealt with it and your growth after is really telling in the person that you are today. Um, if you've got any advice to somebody or anyone that's experienced or is going through the same sort of similar experience, what would you say? Yeah, that's a, that's a great, great question. So I like to say to people that if you're going through any sort of adversity, I just realised that adversity can quite often turn out to be a blessing in disguise. From my own personal experience, I've found that adversity is the prerequisite to growth, success and true happiness. And I believe hidden at the very core of adversity is the key to progression and lifelong happiness. It isn't going to be easy to find this key, but once you have obtained it, it will unlock the barrier to your next level of life. So adversity can be a gift if we choose to let it be. Because usually the way that we look at the issue is the issue. So if you're looking at something from a negative point of view, flip your mindset and ask yourself, what can I learn from this difficult situation and what is it trying to teach me? Mm, I, I, I like that. It's like saying the problem isn't the problem, it's your attitude towards the problem. 
Um, so what's next for Brian? Yeah, no, so that's a that's a great question. So, so obviously that relationship, the, the whole breakup situation there is when obviously I, I spiraled downhill, mm. really spiraled downhill, um, and then I come out of that because you you know you know my story Lee, about the, the single thought that went through my mind when I was depressed, which was could I live with the thought of dying with regrets? So that's when I started to progress my life, and 2020s come around. Covid shut down. I can't travel anymore. So I asked myself, I use the adversities and the, the knowledge that I've gained from facing and overcoming the adversities in my life to potentially help other people. So I did obviously start to become vulnerable and share my my journey online, and I started to write my book obviously at the end of 2020. And now 2021's come around. I thought, what do I want out of my life? Like this whole lockdown period for me has been an eye-opener. It just made me think, what, what do I want out of life? And it's made me realise that there's, there's more to life than just working and doing something you're not passionate about. And I found my purpose for adversity. So my purpose, I believe, is to, to help other people, say, from, from the knowledge that I've gained from facing and overcoming the adversities. And my mission now is to, my, like my mission and vision is to have positive impact on over a billion lives and to be the beacon of light the world wakes up to by sharing my story and bringing, bringing people together with similar stories as well because we all got a story that the world needs to hear because there's so many people that are suffering silently as well. People need to hear these stories of how they can get up and out of that ditch that they might be in because I've been there and now I'm up and out of it. So if I can share my message to help someone get up and out of the ditch that they're in, that's what I plan to do. So I've quit my job of over 13 years, my unfulfilled day job, as I like to say, and I'm going all in on this because I believe I've got a gift like many others and I need to share it with people because if I didn't, I would re regret not doing it. And that's what my book's about. Could I live with the thought of dying with regret? Amen to that, mate. I mean, I can't even add anything to that. Um, Ryan, I am absolutely, truly inspired by that. I mean, I know that I've heard aspects of that, but to actually have a conversation with you about that and actually hear that is um, kind of blowing me away, really. It really has, you know. You, um, the recovery, the, the, the whole process and where you are today uh, is just amazing it really is listen i just want to thank you for your time um i've got so much out of that uh yeah thank you thanks for, thanks no, thank, for being thank you lee thank you for having me on mate i appreciate it you're welcome we'll catch up again soon because i think there's definitely going to be a second part to this yeah of course <laughs> take care mate cheers mate hi guys this is lee i hope you enjoyed this week's episode if you've been affected by any of the issues discussed, you'll find some helpful links in the episode bio. Don't forget to subscribe.